is Matt Whitmore and Keris Marsden, and it is episode number 12 of Fitter Food Radio. Um, we're really excited today. We've got a, an awesome guest on the show. Her name is Anna Marsh. She's a, a friend of ours, as well as a personal trainer and nutritional therapist. And she's going to be dropping some knowledge bombs on you within this hour, um, as well as the amazing Keris. So, Anna Marsh, hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Anna Marsh is actually here with us. This is awesome because normally we do our interviews over Skype and uh, those of you that have been on Skype know it can be a bit temperamental and it gives our uh, editing dude, uh, Mr. Rob Lewis, uh, a bit of a challenge and takes up all of his weekends trying to edit out all the, the bits <laughs> where the Skype just drops out and whatever. So uh, Anna is here with us. We're going to now this podcast which is uh, dedicated to women's health and fat loss. So I'm looking forward to an hour of talking about Periods and menopause, <laughs> as you can imagine. And then we're going to tuck into a nice feast after this. But uh, Anna, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and, you know, why you're so awesome. Okay. No, um, no pressure. <laughs> it's it's quite, quite a long story, I guess. But I, I'm originally from South Africa, so um, that's where I grew up. And um, I had an interest in nutrition for quite a long time. And... Um, as a child, I had some problems with my health, which I won't go into too much um, detail with today. But um, this resulted in me being quite an overweight young child. And I think, you know, feeling a bit uncomfortable and overweight as a young girl. And um, it did have me reading all the magazines and um, just trying to find out a little bit more about nutrition because I, I wanted to better myself. And um, so I always had an interest in nutrition. Um, South Africa is quite limited in terms of the nutrition education available. Maybe not so much now, but then you could either do um, a dietetics degree and that was about it and so I ended up doing a degree in South Africa which was in human kinetics and ergonomics which I guess is the equivalent of sports science here and biochemistry this was what was suggested that I should do considering my interest in nutrition Um, and when I finished that degree I still thought I definitely wanted to do nutrition I didn't want to go further into the human movement or the biochemistry side of things so I found this degree in the UK that just ticked all the boxes and I just knew it was exactly what I wanted to do. And so I made arrangements to move over to the UK in 2008. So coming here was purely based on like your education and studies and like your career? Yeah, 100%. I thought I was only going to come for one year. Um, and then six you, years then later. Then you fell in love. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Still, she got I'm, stuck. <laughs> but then I ended up here. Uh, I did my nutrition degree over here. I worked as a personal trainer uh, while I was studying to to fund my studies and fund you know my living expenses. And and that kind of brings me up where I am now. I graduated um, in two thousand and nine with a degree in nutritional therapy from Middlesex University. And I have been practicing since then. Amazing. And tell them, you've just finished a, a master's as well, haven't you? Almost. Uh, I think I've done as much as to qualify for a postgraduate diploma in personalized nutrition. I have my dissertation left to do, and then I will have my master's degree. That's you amazing. Thing, yeah. The dissertation. I know. <laughs> Put it on <laughs> the back <laughs> burner. It's, it's quite cool to have uh, both Keris and Anna on, because whenever they are together, it is just... 
yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it is normally based on nutrition, health, anything to do with that, which You're is normally all... stuck in the middle, aren't you? At some point, just <laughs> yeah, but I like it. It's, you know, you know, it's, it's it's nice kind of hearing you two talk, but it's quite funny because. I, I kind of wish I had the podcast recording running when you guys were just talking because it was just such an easygoing conversation, discussing different topics, and and I think that's what it's all about. We're going to try and replicate that now, aren't we? As, natu- <laughs> as natural as possible. We are going to get Anna on uh, future show, regular shows, aren't we? We're going to we decide to do some focus on women's health and I think general stuff. Um, you've got an awesome knowledge on sports. Yeah, scope goes way beyond that. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. We should probably mention, um, I actually met Anna on a course in Sweden. We were doing oh, of course, Charles Poliquin's biosignature. Um, and it's funny because my first impression of Anna was this girl at the back of the class who asked really complicated questions that I didn't get. <laughs> but it was pre-me studying any and, nutrition. And was this the girl that lent you a, a, a top a, yeah, to go out in? She did. She lent me a dress. A and dress was, and a pair of boots. Yeah, and did. a pair of tights. Because I got, <laughs> I got on the course with nothing but sports gear and then there was a, a night out with Charles Poliquin, which I didn't want to miss out on. Uh, just to see if he had a glass of wine. Oh, yeah, Bertie's been, <laughs> Bertie's been a party animal. <laughs> oh, God. All he ate was a steak. Nothing else, just a massive steak. Uh, but to be fair, so did everyone else, because they were scared to eat anything different but he to what wasn't he ate, eating, basically, yeah. yeah. And That's then hilarious. one Zumba instructor ordered a glass of wine, and we were all like... <gasps> Mortified. <laughs> But yeah, um, so that's, and then we've been on several courses since. We've done Phil Richards together, we've done um, some camp conferences. Yeah, yeah, Cyrix conferences. Basically, we just drag each other along to anything that we see, don't we? Well, I think you give you give each other the heads up, don't you? If you've booked on something, yeah. you'll, you'll forward it to Anna and vice versa, right? Yeah, which reminds me, Western A. Price. Oh, yes. You have to come with me. There you go. I've tried to sell it to Matt on the basis that you might get to have porridge, but <laughs> and learn how to make sourdough bread. I'll have a, a boys' night in <laughs> with that whilst you go and get your learn on. That'd be amazing. But the thing is, you, you, you tell me all about it anyway, yeah, so I might as well right. save the money and just send you, and then you can tell me. Yeah, well, we'll go and share a room, have a girl's week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But I just want to pull you up on something, actually. Uh, well, not pull you up, uh, but it's a point I kind of want to get across. You mentioned how... You, you had your own issues when you were younger, you know, like uh, like with your weight and kind of how you felt in yourself. And that kind of set you on this journey. Um, and I think it's it's so important to highlight that because the impression I get when I talk to clients, you know, men, women, whatever, the way they talk to you sometimes is if they just assume you've always had it easy. You've never had any issues. You don't have any kind of barriers and complications like they do because this is your passion. This is what you do. But actually, a lot of the time it does stem from your kind of own, you know, like, you know, uh, unhappiness or, or whatever it may be. Um, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just from the other professionals I've met in, within the industry, I think most people have come into this industry because they've been seeking knowledge to help themselves first and foremost, and they've, they've had their own journey and what they've learned along the way they're now using to help other people. And just to add as well, and considering today is all about women's health, is obviously mentioned some health issues I had when I was younger, but actually I also had some health issues my first year living in London, which I put mainly down to stress now. Um, and we'll just, see. Down, just down to London. <laughs> <laughs> just moving countries, moving to a big city, yeah. you know, from a small town, you know, it's quite a lot of stress. Yeah, I imagine. Um, and I think, you know, some of the um, questions that are going to come up today are revolving around, you know, uh, premenstrual syndrome, things like that. And I had some huge issues with my menstrual cycle when I moved over here, so much so that I went, I went back to South Africa on holiday 
after my first year and I was booked in for laparoscopy to check for endometriosis um, after my first year here in London and unfortunately that all came up clear but I guess just to show the extent to which stress can, can impact yeah, the body yeah, and, and affect the hormones and we're going to talk about more about that today. Yes we are. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so ladies, thank you uh, so much for getting your questions in. Obviously, I posted up in the Fit of Food page the other day that we were going to have a whole podcast dedicated to women's health and fat loss. Um, but don't worry, fellas, we're going to do one dedicated to you soon as well. Can um, I just say, though, I think um, guys shouldn't turn off at this point because they often, you know, will have wives, sisters, friends, you know, who go through these things. And it's I think it's good to broaden your knowledge yeah, of and course. understanding. Um, I know sort of... Lots of females that I know are going through, you know, like hospital tests and all sorts of things for female issues. And yeah. and their partners sometimes turn a bit of a blind eye, maybe out of slight embarrassment or, you know, just maybe thinking it's best not to ask. But it's good, I think, for, for guys to understand all of this. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm sure minute. I'm going to learn a hell of a load. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so that said... Um, draw diagrams for you. <laughs> cheek. Right, so should we get cracking with some of these questions then? Yep. Awesome. Righty-ho. So this is a question from Jennifer Bullcock. How to deal with fatigue, mood swings and carb cravings um, towards the end of a cycle? What I thought I'd do is actually just start off explaining a little bit about the menstrual cycle because I think even women, although most of us have this every month, we don't actually understand a lot about how it works hormonally in terms of the hormonal fluctuations. Right. And these hormonal fluctuations play quite a big role in some of these symptoms that we experience. And um, usually what happens is, you know, the first sort of half of your cycle, and it's, it will be different for everyone, we've kind of got... Um, a, a higher level of estrogen and a higher level of progesterone, but both the hormones are relatively um, low compared to how they are in the second half of the cycle. And as we get to mid-cycle, um, where estrogen has been higher, it then drops and progesterone becomes lower, and that's quite important in terms of maintaining you know, um, ovulation and then uh, maintaining the uterus lining, so if there was ovulation. Because I was actually thinking when I read that question, I mean, please forgive my ignorance here, but where it was saying at the end, towards yeah. the end of a cycle, you know, so I was a bit like, well, what's the difference? So then what we were seeing in the second half of the cycle is we had this higher progesterone, lower estrogen, but then usually the last sort of three or four days, there's a crossover again right. when estrogen starts to increase and progesterone drops down. Um, and it's usually that kind of flip which can often be associated with um, a lot of these symptoms. Um, and additionally to that is that some women may um, have something which is called estrogen dominance, where they naturally have higher levels of estrogen relative right. to progesterone. So these fluctuations in hormones are more pronounced. And in terms of things like fatigue and carb cravings, estrogen is actually a, a fat-burning hormone. Right. So in the second half of the cycle, um, when progesterone is higher than estrogen, the body is actually more 
predisposed to burning sugars. So if a woman is too low carb, perhaps in that second oh. half of the cycle, it can actually be just a natural feedback from their body telling them so that they the need to have a little bit more carbohydrates in their diet. And I think this is a problem that we see now with the popularity of low carb diets is that women are tending to go too low carb yeah. and almost have this carb phobia. And, and that can lead to a lot of imbalances in terms of, um, you know, what's going on hormonally. Can I just, uh, and actually, I've seen um, a few female clients who've got great fat loss results dropping their carbs, but then, like you said, stayed too low carb. Yeah. And really what they've done is probably balanced insulin, got good levels of insulin sensitivity, and then should start to increase Bring them back up. <laughs> carbohydrates. And I often say to people, try and find your limit almost. So keep increasing and increasing until you might feel that weight gain starts to happen again because the client who lost the weight and stayed low carb got really severe um, period pains to the point of like waking through the night and, and wow. um, having all sorts of issues but again when you suggest increasing carbs then it's a bit scary because that's how they lost the weight okay so that was a really interesting point you made there because I mean because men have a theory that women make a lot of it up you see <laughs> And all these time of the month, the cravings, the mood swings and all of that, it's just a, an excuse. And you're just jealous because you don't get to have that excuse. <laughs> oh, good. I'm going to get I'm gonna get it in the neck for this, aren't I? <laughs> so what is your excuse, Matt, when uh, you dive into the chocolate? I, I, there isn't one. <laughs> I just want it. <laughs> but no, so what I'm trying to say is, is uh, all jokes aside, is that obviously what could ladies do to prevent that from happening in the first place? So to prevent them from having such a severe carb craving towards the end of their cycle? I think um, looking at maybe upping the carbs in the second half of the cycle mm -hmm. is one thing to do. And there we're not talking about the, the chocolate binges, but they're the more cream, complex yeah. carbs. And especially if they're training to make yeah. sure that their post-workout meal is fueled with some carbohydrates. That's so they're having some sweet potato or brown rice or something like that. So if they are low carb, I mean, would you recommend that only bumping the carbs up a bit at the time of the month or just generally, you know, it might be a sign that they need to just up their carbs full stop? Yeah, it could be. I think, you know, everyone is different. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, what I do and I think what Karis does on a one-to-one -one level is we personalize everything for our clients and we take everything into consideration. But it would definitely be something to play around with, either in general or in that second half of the cycle specifically. The other thing which I've touched on already is looking at managing stress. Yeah. Um, because when the stress hormones are continuously elevated, that tends to encourage this lower level of progesterone, higher level of estrogen at the very end of the cycle, which can lead to things like estrogen dominance. Right. And, and that would be something that would have an influence more so on the period pain. Um, side of things and um, at the onset of menstruation so what about things like um so jennifer mentioned like fatigue and mood swings you know what's you know what what could be you know an explanation for that well, if we think of fatigue as a reflection of energy levels, it would tie back into where is the energy energy coming from, mm -hmm. making sure that the di diet has sufficient calories, there's sufficient carbohydrates to produce energy, specific, as well as the body being already in that more sugar-burning type of metabolism. You want to feed that fire, so making sure that there's you know sufficient carbohydrates in the diet, which we've already mentioned. Mood swings, again, can be due to the fluctuations in hormones. Right. It also could be due to blood sugar imbalances. So, again, un under-eating, under-eating on carbohydrates 
could cause blood sugar imbalances and elevation of stress hormones as well. So what would progesterone you... is your happy hormone, so that's going to yeah. naturally then that dips make you feel a little bit lower than usual. And oh, progesterone okay. is um, very anti-inflammatory. So from the period pain standpoint, if you've got too much estrogen, too little progesterone, that has an impact ah, on wow, inflammation and pain. And I'm not being sarcastic when I say like this is genuinely really interesting. Um, so what would your view, I mean, this is, this is just me thinking on the spot now. Um, what would your view be? So we're talking about fatigue um, and obviously your body being in a, like say, for example, in the second phase of the cycle. W- would a, a woman need to adapt their training around that time or is there no reason why they should just kind of crack on as normal? Well, I mean, I've, I've heard different things from different people. And if, if we look at the energy systems involved in the second half of the cycle, if you're burning um, uh, more sugar, actually a shift to um, more sugar burning activities could be useful from a weight loss right. perspective. And then that would be maybe more higher intensity work oh, in the wow. second half of the cycle um, with maybe lower intensity, more fat burning training in the first half of the cycle. So how, how long is a cycle? 28 days for the average woman. And then, but then, when, so when would you, is the first, like, is it literally like half and half when you talk about the first phase and the yeah. second phase? So, the, you know, technically, I mean, day one is the onset of menstruation and then ovulation would be 14, up, around about day 14, but you must appreciate every woman would be different. Um, and then, so from day 14 onwards, then you would do perhaps higher So time of the month is classed as... What? That would be um, that would be the first half of the cycle. So that would maybe be lower intensity exercise during menstruation and for a week afterwards. Mm. That's what I was <clears throat> going to say. I think you you do hear different recommendations, but I just think given like you've said things like the fatigue, the stress, actually <clears throat> you would be better sort of looking after adrenals and and doing a little bit more. I mean, just listen to your body, but. I often say to women, maybe just more walking or swimming, yoga, yoga. that sort of stuff. Yoga is fantastic for... That's a really good point. And something I've been doing with my training recently um, is I, I used to do a lot of CrossFit and be quite heavily involved in CrossFit. And I've, I really enjoyed it when I was in it. A- Anna can do a muscle-up. <laughs> Three <laughs> on, in a row. On the ribs, <laughs> yes. Um, we were talking about this in the kitchen earlier. But um, is uh, going from someone who's done quite a bit of more high-intensity training and then uh, stripping it back now to just kind of lifting weights, but yeah. not with that very high-intensity nature... I've definitely noticed a difference in my energy levels and managing my stress. And and I've actually leaned out more than what I was when I was doing lots of high-intensity work. It's funny because I often find that the harder I train, the the kind of higher I set the bar in that I kind of feel like you get kind of sucked in to the whole intensity thing and you kind of feel like you can't regress in any way because it is exactly that. It's a regression, you know what I mean? And I've been training quite hard, like, you know, of late and some but, but it's so important isn't it to be like actually you know what this week i'm just going to kick back a little bit like you say focus on a bit of yoga maybe some breathing exercises lots of stretching you know still do the odd cut like a few sessions but don't get sucked into that whole you know because it's easy to become an, an intensity junkie right totally. i think also for me i've had to jump out of classes a little bit because for me it's the group thing i, I love it the competitive and, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm very competitive and so i personally 
you know, very similar to you. One, I cut back on intensity and saw benefits to body composition and fatigue, stopped falling asleep in the afternoon, <laughs> um, but also stopped doing so much group exercise. I do the odd session, but I don't do, that's not my training now. So a lot of it's just me in the gym practicing, I don't know, kettlebell windmills and whatever I want to do. And it's quite nice just... It's just your time as well, your headspace. And yeah, I think whack some tunes on. Yeah, and... definitely. I always tell women um, basically to increase intake of omega-3s and also probably to take fish oil supplements. And um, actually, I have seen recommendations for ones... We did discuss this, remember, at a conference that contained GLA. And apparently yes. that's more beneficial for women. A lot of women do actually take um, primrose oil. Uh, so GLA PMT. being... It's a long name for a certain fatty acid. <laughs> you get it's an evening primrose oil, which right. a lot of women take. So it's a bit of fatty acid, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And women take that often. They they get told to take it by anyone knows. Well, a lot of women know to take that to help with PMT and and all the issues that we've just discussed. But what Anna and I were confused at is it's actually high in omega six, um, but apparently it helps with the transport of omega threes. So has a beneficial effect. Yeah. So looking for a fish oil with added GLA. Um, again, I use Brain Sharp. I don't know if you have another brand you use. or I usually go for uh, fish oil and then I add in GLA specifically. Okay, as a oh, separate. Okay. Yeah, because I think there you, you do need to take quite a lot to have a good effect, so that's why I add it in. That's a good idea. Yeah. Product. Where, where, where do you get yours from? Um, there are various products available. I mean, most of the ones I use are Nutri. I think they do one, which is, I can't remember the name now. It's got one of the seeds in it. It'll come to me. Uh, when I think yeah. of it, I'll blurt it out. Is it black currency? It might be, yeah. Yeah, That's black currency, I think. Um, so, yeah, so I would go with that, but also increase your intake of oily fish, so salmon, anchovies, um, you know, sardines, that sort of thing. And um, carbohydrates was, was on my list, as you've already mentioned that, so I um, always say to women, increase carbohydrates. Um, again, try sort of from things like sweet potatoes, root vegetables, um, rice, add fats to keep the GI nice and low. Um what else? Uh, B6. I don't know if you've ever used that with clients for things like mood, um, definitely. And also things like ground flaxseed can be fantastic for um, just generally for estrogen dominance, for cleaving out excess estrogen from the body. So perhaps having ground flaxseed in a smoothie or on a salad, um, again, across the cycle. Yeah, just to add with the flaxseed that you mentioned, clearing estrogen, um, estrogen is detoxified from the body through the liver, so anything that would support liver function would also be a good idea. And, Such um, as? Um, glycine, um, what are the other ones? Vitamin C, N-acetylcysteine are the common ones. Uh, I think Karis and I both recommend um, the Ultra Clear pH, okay. which is a metagenics product, which is kind of like an all-in-one um call it a meal replacement supplement but I'd like to say more of a snack replacement supplement because yeah. it's quite low calorie yeah. um, that you could take in between meals which can help with liver support as well just to note you have to get pineapple and banana flavour because vanilla is vile Really? <laughs> yes and I've had several people back me up on that so I always make that clear uh, and then magnesium would be um, uh, my last one although I was going to mention uh, again with estrogen dominance making sure the bowels are moving daily and if they're not go to the gut uh, and go and see a practitioner uh, like Anna uh, and get your gut sorted because you do that that's um, having constipation and not having daily bowel movements will lead to a build-up of um, hormones so especially estrogen gets recycled and, and that's where the flaxseed works really well it's, yeah. it's, it's a good stool bulker so it can help with um, moving through things through 
And with magnesium, I tend to say supplement or eat dark chocolate <laughs> or do both. <laughs> <laughs> so in a nutshell, then, it may be a case of, so this is me, let's see what I've learned, right? Yeah. So you may need to increase your carbohydrates a little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even more so maybe in the second phase of your cycle. Yeah. Take on plenty of oily fish, flaxseed, magnesium, and uh, CLA. No. GLA. GLA. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. CLA, where did I get that from? That's conjugated linoleic That's acid, it. which is in... I knew it was something. Butter. <laughs> so... Dairy. Was that... Would you say that's pretty much... And manage stress long-term. Yeah. Yeah. But to be fair, just managing your stress generally, I think, will help. Blanket advice. <laughs> everyone in the world. And yeah. take um, cinnamon and coconut oil for your cravings just across that time. Try and. It's so funny when we talk about these kind of things, and there are certain things that just go across the board, aren't there? Like reducing stress, getting good quality sleep and things like that. Which well, It's funny when we were discussing what questions to answer, um, and we were saying how a lot of the recommendations we're making now would go for, for several clients yeah. and several, you know, health issues, you know, things there, like... There is a lot of overlap, though, isn't there? Yeah. You know, when it comes to just health, generally... Support hormonal balance, yeah. take magnesium, you know, the fish oils, omega-3s... But don't tell them that, because you know, <laughs> yeah. we would never have any more podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question from the CrossFitter. This is from Jane Liston, and she would like to know why high-protein and low-carb diet is not working while in menopause, but it does for everyone else. Can I just say first thing, sorry, Anna, just jumped, I've jumped in there, but it doesn't for everybody else <laughs> yeah, for a start. But that was my That's first thought. That's just how they feel. It doesn't for everyone else. I have loads of clients where it doesn't work for them. But also, doesn't this, I mean... And like, it's not necessarily what I'd choose for them either. So. I mean, she's obviously been quite specific, like working while in menopause. Yeah. But generally these things aren't, you know, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like dropping carbs down and maybe upping proteins and fats. Yes, people may get results, you know, over weeks, months, you know, and then eventually, you know, can then run into problems. Yeah. So while someone might be feeling on top of the world and dropping a boatload of body fat over a, maybe a two-month period, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean... No, you, must you know, always adjust the macros depending on, you know, where you are in life, what your training's yeah. like and... And I think people can, because something has worked for them once in a certain situation, they think that that will work for them again across yeah. the board and they can be worried to change things because they attach onto what's given them results in the past. That's and, a really good point. I and, see that so much. <laughs> and I, I, one of my practices is run through a CrossFit gym, so I inadvertently see a lot of CrossFit women. And um, obviously this is not specific to menopause, but... Uh, I have seen a lot of female CrossFit athletes eating too low carb for such a high-intensity sport. And um, I've run uh, adrenal stress tests um, on these clients. And so an adrenal stress test is a measure of our stress hormone output. And um, basically all of them are adrenally fatigued. Um, They're just underproducing cortisol, which ultimately affects the metabolism. So just say, regardless of menopause or not, a low-carb diet whilst doing a high-intensity sport such as CrossFit is probably not advisable in the long term. So, well, as I can say then, to add to that, the, the thing that I spotted straight away with menopause is basically the hormones um, that would normally be produced by the ovaries are no longer because you're past childbearing. So you rely completely on the adrenal glands, which uh, also produce cortisol and adrenaline for 
small amounts of hormones. So if you think of them as, as tiny little organs, um, they're basically tiny little uh, glands that sit on the kidneys and they become completely burnt out to the point where they can atrophy, so they can waste away. And so in a woman who's menopausal, you'd be relying on that gland for basically all of your hormones, as in sex hormones. Yeah. And your adrenaline and cortisol and, um, and your stress hormones as well. Yeah. So they'll definitely be adrenally fatigued. I just want to jump in there and, and make this maybe a little bit more understandable to those people who don't have that in-depth understanding of what happens when we exercise. But if someone is um, exercising on a very low-carb diet... Um, they're going to rely quite heavily on their stress hormones to stimulate um, blood sugar or to stimulate the release of sugar back into the bloodstream. Yeah. So the lower carb the diet or the lower fuel that that person is um, you know, having and if they're not taking in things pre and post and during their workouts, um, it does create a huge demand on those adrenal glands to fuel their workouts for them. And then if they're doing that consistently on a low-carb diet, that's where the adrenal glands become um, you know, they start to give in and, and not want to do that so well anymore. And, and as Karis then went on to say, is then you're also relying on them quite heavily to um, produce the sex hormones as well. And in um, so postmenopause or women, generally it's all about support the adrenals and carbohydrates play a really strong role in that. So, so you, you you wouldn't advise a low-carb diet to no, a woman no, not at all. going through the menopause? I would say to reassess her, her type of training for one. But then I know, um, I mean, we have someone on our women's plan who's a big, big fan of, of, of CrossFit and, you know, and has, has gone on to become a CrossFit trainer and do the level one CrossFit. Yeah. So I know for one, even talking to her, when people are really into CrossFit, it's very difficult to persuade them. You can't tell a CrossFit enough to CrossFit. No, basically. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, th- this is an observation, right? Because I, I genuinely... I love about 75% of CrossFit. There are certain aspects that I'm a bit against, but hey-ho, that's my opinion. Um, but I know quite a lot of CrossFitters, and I have personally seen, because correct me if I'm wrong, Anna, right, but a, a trend I kind of noticed when CrossFit was, was kind of booming, so to speak, was a lot of the guys, whilst they were incredibly fit and also very strong, to me, their physiques didn't reflect it. I thought they looked quite soft, you know, and, you know, the whole cross, CrossFit thing of training with your top off. And I was a bit like, you know, some of these dudes don't look the part, you know, for what they do and for the, the, the kind of weights that they can lift and the intensity they can train that. But I felt that towards the beginning of CrossFit, there was a bit of a trend to, to the whole low-carb, high-protein thing. And I just think, I, and I've always said, like exactly what you guys have just said, that I don't think it really worked for, from an aesthetic point of view or even a performance point of view. Like, yes, you'll get results for X amount of time, but it's only a matter of time before, you know, things go a bit peak tong and people will need to start assessing their macros. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, this is what I've seen with these clients, and actually, by adding in more carbohydrates during workouts, post-workout and having a good post-workout meal can yeah. make a really big difference um, for a lot of people. And I think, you know, when we look at, um, you know, menopause, you're obviously expecting that this woman has been around on the planet for a lot longer than some of the, you know, 20-something-year-olds. And so you also have to consider lifetime resilience. If that yeah. person has had a lot of stress or a lot of stressful things going on throughout their life or they've maybe had a poor diet, 
you know, it's all these stress loads which contribute over time to the health of the adrenals. And in someone who's, you know, 45 plus, it's not going to necessarily bounce back from this type of abuse you can do to your body on a low carb diet yeah. with high intensity exercise as quick as someone who's 20 something. Yeah. So I've seen clients, young clients, bounce back quite well just adding in more carbs, taking a few supplements to support the adrenals. The younger clients have continued to do CrossFit, so they've been able to rebalance the adrenals while continuing to train but somebody who's older might not have that resilience yeah and also i'd probably add to that that the menopause itself can be incredibly stressful in terms of symptoms um one being sort of weight gain around the middle you tend to develop a, a physique more like a man so you're more prone to gain weight which for a woman can be really really stressful if, you know, if that's <laughs> not been your problem area and things like the night sweats, um, you know, and, and insomnia and all sorts of things. So I think it, generally it's quite a stressful time for a woman. And so, again, you would look at adrenal support over anything else. But it's not necessarily the case of, you know, not doing CrossFit. It's about changing yeah. things in order to obviously back that up properly and make sure that, you know, your macros so. are right. I think, and... it, yeah, like you've said, adapting, supporting, perhaps less sessions. And, and, and there are, as I believe, Annie, you could probably correct me, but there are practice sessions and, and things like mobility sessions. So she could still yeah. be part of that yeah. group training environment, but not doing so many workouts of the day. Yeah, I think it also does come down to w which CrossFit gym you're training at and what the programming yeah, is like and being sensible about it. So if the programming structured more just around doing some key lifts really well and then shorter conditioning sessions, you know, that's going to hammer the body much less than these like 30, 45 mm -hmm. minute chippers where you just feel wrecked afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So and I suppose one place you could go and look is um, Dr. Wilson's adrenal fatigue website yeah. is quite good in terms of telling um, people about how to, what sort of eating pattern you should follow. So it's very important to eat within 30 minutes of waking yeah. um, and try and get their last meal in quite early in the day yeah i also think at night. there's a lot of value to having a cortisol profile done which yeah. you can do with any nutritional therapist um near you and that can be really useful in terms of choosing supplements because if i mean i know dr wilson actually does a really great adrenal rebuilder formula, formula yeah. um which can be great for someone who's got low cortisol um and then if someone has got high cortisol it's maybe about calming that system down a little bit more which means different supplements are required so knowing what your body is doing is actually the first step to specifically going yeah. in and targeting it i've actually seen that mistake made so many times in clinics because there's loads of herbs out there and as Anna said some will help to elevate low cortisol and some will help to sort of modulate high cortisol bring it back down uh -huh. if you don't know what your cortisol is doing but you just go on an adrenal support formula then you could make yourself feel a lot worse yeah. so especially if it was already too high some of them actually contain um glandulars so adrenal glands in there of animals so it makes you feel it increases it even more so it makes people feel worse so what's this called a uh... An adrenal stress, it's an adrenal stress index is the name. Genova is uh, one of the labs here in the UK that does it. And any sort of nutritional therapist would probably be registered with that lab. And, and are they quite pricey that. or? No. £75 for a test. So um, That's not too bad at as all. As far as tests go, I think it's quite reasonable. And I think um, if you suspect that this may be something that's hindering you with your weight loss, it's £75 well spent in terms of informing the supplemental use. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that what I found with clients is that uh, Karis mentioned the glandulars, is that some clients do really well on glandulars um, and others do better on herbal products. So sometimes even, 
even though the products are designed to do the same thing, um, different products just work better with different people. Yeah, definitely. I think there's some good sort of generic formulas out there, like um, Sol got to have one called Balance. It's got rhodiola and B vitamins, and you know, if you really couldn't afford the test, that might be a good place to start, and a little yeah. bit of vitamin C. But if you're going to use herbs or glandulars, you must test really beforehand. Yeah. I'd just say as well that I really like the. Um, Metagenics licorice root products for people with low morning cortisol. I've used that quite successively with myself and with some clients as well. And what the licorice root does is it stops the breakdown of cortisol. So if you're releasing cortisol in the morning, it prevents it breaking down so that you don't need to, your body doesn't need to make more cortisol for the rest of the day or for, you know, it reduces how much cortisol needs to be made for the rest of the day. And that can take a huge pressure off the adrenal glands. But as I said, you need to know what that person's cortisol levels are before you can start using the products. How many, how many times have you tested yourself? Twice. Twice. Mm. And once, once I was flat line at the bottom, and wow. the next time I was, I was normal. So, and that was after taking the licorice root. And I've oh, had wow. good, good results with the licorice root with other clients as well. That's amazing. That's good. We could should it? do yours, Matt. Actually. Probably should. Well, I'm not surprised we haven't yet. <laughs> you normally wrote me in on all these things. Don't I did mine. I did mine with the melatonin as well. So yeah, we'll do yours. Should we move on to the next question? That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> Um, okay, this is from uh, Jane Nikes. She wants to know about nutrition for improved thyroid function. Um, well, this kind of links quite nicely back into what we were talking about because you know, the thyroid gland is also very closely linked to the adrenal glands as well. And what we often see um, is that when the adrenals are underfunctioning because there's been some long-term chronic stress, and this can often lead to a downregulation of the thyroid gland as well. Um, and when, when we look at the thyroid hormone, um, most doctors will test for TSH, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone, and T4. But not many doctors will teach for T3, which is actually the active thyroid hormone. And cortisol is very important in terms of converting your T4 to your active T3. Right. So you can appreciate that somebody who's perhaps got a low cortisol output would then be underproducing T3, which could affect the thyroid function. And the other things which are important for that conversion are iodine and selenium. So getting enough iodine and selenium, as well as balancing any adrenal issues, are going to be important in terms of the overall thyroid function. So that from from foods as well as supplementation? or Yeah, I think, I mean, I always like to include as many food things in the diet as possible yeah. because it's always debatable how how much of an effect supplements can have. So um, with iodine and selenium, you're looking at a lot of seafoods, maybe things like seaweed or sea vegetables that yeah. could be included. Um, I think is it um, you can get those sea salts in the grinder and they've got a little bit yeah. of seaweed flakes and one. things. I think it's sea greens. Yeah, sea greens. Sea greens yeah. is the brand <clears throat> that does that. Um, and the other thing with the thyroid to be aware of is um, there are certain vegetables which can inhibit thyroid function and, and because they've got um, certain compounds in them known as goitrogens. Right. And these are typically things like your brassica vegetables, like your broccoli and Brussels sprouts, and I think soy is another one as well. Yeah, yeah soy is, yeah. It's, it's cauliflower? It's, it's yes. cauliflower and cabbage, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people might do... Um, 
green smoothies and green drinks where they're blending all these vegetables. So in you're recommending day. not no. to have those. Well, if you have thyroid issues, you would want to limit intake right. yeah. a little bit, and preferably to cook them. So small amounts cooked as opposed to yeah. raw. Right. So raw in a smoothie, like you said, or something like that. No, 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 no. So I'm saying don't. Often yeah, no. people do these smoothies yeah. where they're blending huge amounts of these. But vegetables. They, they blend them raw. So I'm saying yes, instead sorry, of that, yes, yes, cook yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, cook them. Yeah, and have them in smaller amounts. <laughs> and one thing I would say is, um, just to add to what Anna said, is often when people ask that question about thyroid, they've already been diagnosed as hypothyroid, which is low thyroid function, by a GP who, as Anna said, has only tested two of several thyroid hormones. So hasn't really got to the bottom of where the issue lies um, in the conversions, because it could be coming from, as Anna said, stress, or because you haven't got the raw materials to create the right thyroid hormones. And so... It's quite hard often because they're already on, they're given medication, so they're given thyroid hormone to take, um, thyroxine. So it's a bit difficult to sort of for them to then go and take iodine supplements or anything like that if they're already on hormone supplements. Right. So it's good to go and get one-to-one advice um, with, with a nutritional therapist who will work with your GP, and possibly do some private testing and then look at you know, coming off the medication and doing it through food and, and lifestyle. So what about in terms of like macros? Increase, well, carbohydrates are really important for mm-hmm. um, production of thyroid hormones. So again, lots of people on low-carb diets see um, an increase in, in sort of incidence of hyperthyroidism, so low thyroid Get the carbs up. Carbs, yeah. And I mean, you do see that sort of anecdotally as well when people have been on a low-carb diet for quite a long period of time. They've seen results, they feel great when they have more energy when they reduce their carbs, but then after a while they actually just start to feel quite tired all the time. And when they add more carbohydrates back into their diet, they start to feel good again. And, um, and you know, thyroid, the thyroid is obviously, it's it's your regulator of metabolism. So if if you're feeling... um, if that's down-regulating, mm-hmm. you feel more tired because you're not creating energy. Interesting. <laughs> so I'd say we've covered that, or you've covered that, should I say. <laughs> right, so oh, this is a good question. This is from Jenny Mercer, and Jenny would like to know the best way to lose weight with PCOS, and how do you know if it's causing insulin resistance? First of all, you know, if you've got PCOS, I think we just need to get the baseline things under control. And so, you know, blood sugar regulation is going to be top priority. One of the things that we see with PCOS is, um, um, you know, insulin resistance is kind of characteristic, one of the characteristics. So, you know, maybe looking at... Would you like to just, just quickly explain, just so everyone knows, what insulin resistance is? Well, I mean, insulin resistance is just, I mean, simply put, less um, when insulin becomes less efficient at doing its job. So insulin's role in the body is to, you know, take sugar out of the bloodstream and put it away into storage. And that could be storage in the muscle cell, or it could be storage in the liver cells, or it could right. be storage in the fat cells. So um, when someone becomes insulin resistant, they need a greater amount of insulin to manage the same amount of sugar. So, and typically what we see is that the um, muscle cells and the liver cells aren't as receptive to receiving the sugar, but it's more likely to be, yeah, more likely to be put into the fat cell, which, which would lead to weight gain. So, and um, if, 
if we just go back to that concept of having um, a higher amount of insulin for a smaller uh, for the same amount of carbohydrates, if you wanted to look at losing weight, it would be bringing that carbohydrate release under control through diet, which would be um, maybe looking at the types of carbohydrates that are being eaten, going mm. for um, you know more complex carbs and balancing them with fats and proteins to you know slow down the the glycemic effect of the a meal or, or food. Um, and that would um, r reduce the body's dependence on that insulin mechanism, you know, to, to manage blood sugar. And that in itself can bring about weight gain, but it can also have a beneficial effect on, you know, the syndrome of, of mm -hmm. polycystic ovaries as a whole. See, I think you explained that pretty darn well. <laughs> Fantastic. That was, that was nice and clear to me. <laughs> I often um, say to women in this situation with PCOS is to start doing, I don't know if you recommend this, blood sugar testing. So um, just because it's quite difficult to know what is your carbohydrate tolerance is, you know, is fruit even too, perhaps too high GI for you. So I often suggest that they do fasted glucose in the morning and then just one hour after, uh, sorry, a pre-meal measurement and then an hour, two and three hours after a meal and just see what the surge is in blood sugar level and hope that it returns to sort of a baseline measurement. Also, in the background of once you're doing that blood glucose testing, so you know, how, you know can you have sweet potato and root vegetables, bananas, um, work on insulin sensitivity. So things like green tea, um, quarter teaspoon of cinnamon with your meals, things like that can really help, drink cinnamon water. Um, and then things like adding lemon juice and apple cider vinegar can lower the GI if it's too much. So also try adding more fats to your carbohydrates and see if that helps on, in terms of impact on blood sugar levels, as Anna mentioned. So the book I was going to recommend is called The Diabetes Solution, which is by Dr. Bernstein. Hey, she remembers. He, <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he talks about what Karis just mentioned with the measuring your blood sugar. And a lot of it is um, you know, trying to find out what foods work well for you and um he he recommends quite a restricted diet which might not be ideal for everyone but it's yeah. a nice book to read just to understand this concept of you know measuring your blood glucose after meals and, and monitoring things like that and one other point probably to mention is the effect of stress on the blood sugar levels yeah i was about to say do you remember once when i shouted at you and then you measured your <laughs> your blood glucose and it was like sky high yeah but if i, if I remember rightly i think you would shout at him because we were both at quite a stressful stage, you know, the bit, you know, with like we were both working around the clock and yeah. the business and <laughs> my, my fasted glucose at one point was quite alarming. It was and like seven or something, wasn't it? Yeah. It's quite high. Like the first thing in the morning, it was like seven <laughs> and I, I thought I was like pre-diabetic, but I, I just put it down to poor sleep, lots of stress, you know, because I, I actually felt wired with stress. Like I felt like I'd just eaten something sugary and I had that kind of wired effect about me but I hadn't I'd just woken up so again stress yeah. getting a good night's sleep yeah. you know it just goes across the board caffeine right? so essentially uh, blood blood sugar control yeah yeah I think I mean that that goes without saying for most things mm -hmm. you need to get your blood sugar under control before you can start working on anything else alrighty so next question is uh, this is from Joyce Wang and Joyce wants to know uh, diets to avoid uh, if you want regular cycles? I think the theme is sort of running through the whole podcast is we've emphasised already um, the dangers of going too low carb for some women. I think um, the other thing which has been quite popular in the media recently is the, or at least last year, was the whole 5-2 oh, diet. Oh, God, I knew you were um, going to say that. I think, um, you know, fasting does seem to have 
the health benefits for some people and, and the research shows some quite promising things in terms of people with metabolic issues and, and regulating blood sugar and, and all of that. But for women, I think there's still a lot of um, you know unknowns in terms of how it affects hormones. And fasting itself is a, a stress on the body. Yeah. And a certain amount of stress can be very healthy because the body learns to adapt to stress. But when you put you know, the stress of fasting on top of the stress of training really hard, on top of the stress of not sleeping well, on top of the stress of um, and the quality of maybe you're eating bad quality food when you do eat, um, and then just general lifestyle stress, it, it's just far too much stress, I think, and you're adding yeah, something yeah. else into the mix. So something like that, like a 5-2 diet or anything which is you know, too low carb for, for your needs and your activity levels would definitely be something to avoid. Yeah, I think anything where basically if you think your body starts to feed back that it's starving um, and that can well, be starved. Well, it's like depleted in any yeah, way. But that, yeah, that can be starved of a macronutrient, so starved of protein or starved of fat, starved of, um, you know, um, carbohydrates. And so the main one is it does tend to be with women carbohydrates more than anything at the moment that they are, you know, eating a, a protein and fat diet. Um, and it is just vital because basically carbohydrates are so essential for fertility. Mm-hmm. And so the body needs to, um, you know, to be able to to get pregnant and to have healthy, sort of, you know, to have good reproductive health, the body has to know there's this constant supply of, of, of all the macronutrients, and especially carbohydrates. Um, and as Anna said, the, the fast two thing, just it just drives me mad because... Again, people have latched onto this formula that worked for somebody else and, and, and believe it's going to work for them, and, and, and it really doesn't. And I think, uh, you know, I've, I've recommended fasting to some people, usually men more than women, um, and I believe in it for um, digestive health, really. I think some people really benefit from having, um, when they've had a bout of IBS, um, uh, you know, use, use fasting just to basically give the gut a rest. But even then, I often say use broths and use coconut oil and teas and things like that. I never, very rarely would I actually recommend full-on fasting, you know, unless I, unless I know that person is fit for it. But wouldn't you say here, like, the word, you know, like, diets to avoid, you know, so if we are talking about so-called diets, uh, we like to think that the way we eat is, is a is lifestyle it, yeah, and it's, we're relatively it's consistent. And I think that's the important thing, isn't it? It's finding something that you can do consistently because if you do decide to go on a diet whatever that is and let's say for argument's sake for for two weeks you're as good as gold and you're eating lots of salad and vegetables and good quality meats but you don't do it in a way that's uh you know sustainable and then you just go off the rails and then just eat a load of crap and a load of processed food for a week i mean your blood sugar is going to be all over the shop yeah absolutely i mean i think um yeah, I think you've highlighted there. Don't use that word diet. And if there is a, a you know, I was going to say if there's a book about a diet, but that's we've written a book. Yeah, our books about a lifestyle. But any of them, like Dukan or you know Atkins or anything like that, any book on some new fad which involves dropping, you know, as I said, usually an entire group of foods out that you know, yeah, um, you know, I think will, is going to lead to some sort of issues at some point. You know, further down the line. So. Which is about finding something that's sustainable and you can be consistent with, and anything you look at as a diet is not really what you should be doing, is it? If well, you I look think, at it like that. I think the general advice at the moment, and I think Anna would back us up on this, is you start with something basically paleo as a foundation, and then you go, you know, sort of relatively strict for four to six weeks where you're not having any of the grains or the dairy or anything, and then you add things back in and you add. 
you know, one by one, what foods do you miss? What do you think? You know, do your research. What are the most nutritious ones? You know, so obviously start with things like butter or ghee. Um, you might want to try double cream, some of the hard cheeses. Um, you know, and again, with rice, uh, with grain, sorry, you might want to try rice because that's pretty easy to digest. And add them back in and see how you are. And and that, that should be most people's approach to, you know. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's being able to, to adapt accordingly, right? Yeah. Because you're not finding it funny how well, it's not funny, but uh, you know we've got you know men and women on 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 our 28 day plan for example, and I'd say 95 percent of people are getting amazing results. Their energy's through the roof. They're losing weight. You know their training's going well, but there is still the odd five percent who aren't getting that. You know, so it's it. But you know that may well mean that that person may need to up their carbs a little bit. They may need to eat an extra meal. You know, depending on their activity level. And it's just essential to like you like you said you have the foundation, yeah. And but then you, you just need to adapt accordingly. Yeah, you know, trial, trial and improvement basically. Yeah. Good answer. Right. So this is uh, the final question now, and then we will wrap it up. There are so many more, but uh, we'll have to cover these another time because I am hungry. I don't know about you. <laughs> hey? Um, and this is from Pauline Bright. Um, I think this is a, a really good question. Pauline Bright has said, I struggle to consume my total calorie intake with eating clean. What types of food can we eat to increase calories? Oh, I think Karis has kind of just touched on this already. I think it depends on what the person means by eating clean. If eating clean is strictly eating paleo foods, I think then it would be difficult off, to... Off a clean plate. <laughs> <laughs> To, to meet your calorie intake, but I think if you're starting to add in the, the typical non-paleo foods or whatever you want to call them, things that's slightly different, then you can sort of look to upping your calorie intake. And for example, I think fats and doing smoothies are a really easy way yeah. to, to increase calorie intake and you know, doing liquid meals where you're adding fats into a smoothie type thing you can bump your calories up quite quickly in a way that's quite easy for the body to digest and process. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I've seen this again with some people um, who've, we've sort of suggested using MyFitnessPal when they um, start on paleo eating, just to check where they're getting, one, where, where are your calories coming from? So what percentage from fat, carbs and protein? And checking overall as a, calorie. As a rough guide, of yeah, course. And yeah, to check overall calorie intake. And it's because of this question, it's more to check that they're getting enough. Because when you do take out processed foods, you get that big drop in calories. And I've seen some women come back to me and say, I'm getting 1,000, something, you know, 27 calories a day, which is just not enough, uh, nowhere near enough. So as Anna said, then it's about looking at where they're coming from predominantly, but, um, you know, possibly adding in fats would be your biggest, um, you know, your most calorific source. So some coconut oil um, in smoothies or tea and coffee. You could just start putting um, obviously olive oil on salads, melted butter over vegetables, fatty cuts of meat, fatty fish. So often, again, people, when they do switch to paleo, think it is about chicken salads and things like that, and, and it's not really. It's about yeah. all different, you know, it's all different meats um, and fish, and, and the fatty cuts tend to be the most nutritious. And then all our salads have got avocados, walnuts, you know, dressing seeds so that's sort of um you know generally fats are probably mine and yours uh, our biggest source of calories i don't know if you follow a yeah different no mine are definitely up fats. there what i'd say as well is that often when people switch to this paleo diet uh, they think that it's a low carb diet yeah and well, so they'll be not, cutting yeah. out a lot of the carbs from their diet but they don't put in other things so they don't increase uh, you know say they were eating 
a chicken, a sweet potato on a salad, they take away the potato, but they don't increase the portion of chicken, they don't increase the portion of salad, so they're taking things away without yeah. putting things in. So they replace, And yeah. that's quite a common error that people tend to make. Definitely, definitely. But, you know, for, for someone to even have the issue in the first place of not being able to consume enough calories... I mean, that, that's common, though, because protein and fat is so satiating. So often if you've been having cereal for breakfast and you switch to having, um, you know, scrambled eggs and cooked in butter or something, you'll feel really full afterwards. And so actually, and maybe not want to eat for hours, I've heard that, which is a good thing. Generally, that means blood sugar is balanced, but you almost, for some people, will have to almost force themselves to have a little bit of a snack or, you know, as I said, add fats, more fats to the next meal. But do you, do you think, I know like, this is alien to you, Matt. I can see you looking <laughs> <laughs> struggling to eat. Yes, I certainly don't have a, a problem eating enough calories, that's for sure. No, what I was trying to say was is that because surely, let's say, for example, you know, this is a woman who's got a good chunk of weight to lose, like 10 kg, for example. You know, I'm sure that when the weight's dropping off, they're not going to start thinking, oh, I don't think I'm eating enough calories. This would be more common with someone who's maybe quite active, not really got a, a body composition is- issue see, per yeah. se. Yeah, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think I think everyone should check. To be honest, I think everyone should tap in every now and then. And you know, unless you know that you're a little bit crazy about calories and can go a bit too far with it, I think it's good to check in every now and then. I do it. I just go on my fitness pal and I'll tap in like three days. And I'll you just know what I mean? Like, I mean, what 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 would flag that up? So you'd either think I'm I'm losing way too much weight here and I don't want to, oh, I see. or yeah, I yeah. don't have enough energy. Yeah, know, I feel quite lethargic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My, my gym performance is going down. Yeah, even getting sick quite often, like recurrent colds and things like that, could be a sign of just not enough energy, not enough nutrients going in. So, yeah, all of those things. Awesome. I hope that helps. Right, so that was the last question. Thank you, Anna. And of course, thank you, Keris, as always. So, Anna, why don't you just uh, tell our listeners where they can find out a little bit more about yourself and, and what you do? Um, so, I've got a Facebook page, which is Anna Marsh Nutrition, and I try to post on that um, as often as I can, where obviously I give out just kind of general advice and little snippets of information. And um, so, everyone is more than welcome to follow me on there. Um, and if anybody would like to get in touch for some more um, personalized advice and perhaps of a consultation or if they're interested in running any tests, um, then my website is um, annamarshnutrition.co.uk and they can contact me either through the website. .co.uk, is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. Not co.uk. <laughs> I must be a South African thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they can contact me through the website um, or um, my email address is anna at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Okay. Guys, I highly recommend that you uh, head over to our Facebook page because there's tons of awesome content on there, recipes, etc. So be sure to head over there and give it a like. As Keris mentioned earlier, we will be getting Anna on again because she's got a wealth of knowledge and awesome to talk to. So and no doubt you ladies and guys will, will reap the benefit from that as well. So, yeah, thank you once again. That is a wrap on episode number 12. As always, guys, please, please leave a, a review if you can. If, you, if you've already done so, thank you so much. But leave a review, subscribe, and, and please share our podcast with anyone that you think uh, will benefit from it uh, it'd, be, it'd be greatly appreciated so it's a ta from me bye from me bye laters <laughs>